I'm going to start, before we read the Bible, with a quote from a gentleman called R.T. Kendall. Now, R.T. Kendall was, uh, a lot, for a long time, the pastor of a famous church in London, Westminster Chapel, where the, the man who was a pastor here, Greg Haslam, went to replace him when R.T. Kendall retired. R.T. Kendall uh, is not only a great Bible teacher on the platform, he's a great writer. There's a lot of books, and it's worth reading his books if you come across them. you don't know him as a writer, I encourage you to look at some of his books. But in one, he wrote this, R.T. Kendall. I believe that every Christian has one fundamental calling and one primary duty, a duty which is also a delight. We are called by the way we live and in all that we do to worship God. This is a full-time activity, not only here on earth, but in heaven too. Every church, therefore, must ask one basic question. How can our services lead people out in a spirit of worship? How can we bring people to a higher place in worship and send them out as worshippers? That's my little addition on the end. Now, I don't believe that Artie Kendall is exaggerating or overstating things when he says that worshipping God is the fundamental calling of all Christians. It's the big one. It's the basic call we have on our lives. Now, here's two scriptures. They're only a verse each, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The first one, I think they'll go up on the screen. Isaiah 43, verse 21. The people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Old Testament, clearly telling us that God's ultimate goal for his people those he's called, those he's chosen. His ultimate goal is that they proclaim his praise. And here's a New Testament one, 1 Peter 2, nine and, uh, just 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Very similar. God's purpose in redeeming us, God's goal for us in calling us out of darkness into light is not simply our salvation or redemption. Of course, that's important. Not just our enjoyment and blessing, but that we might declare his praises, God's praises, the one who saved us and called us. So this is a great series to be in. God Among Us, the series on worship that we've just started with Steve last week, and this is the second in, in that series. And there's a sort of subtitle, Worshipping God Together, because as perhaps Artie Kendall hints at in a way, worship is our whole lives. It's not just when we're singing together in the meeting. It is about also how we live and how we act, and we will acknowledge that, and I'm sure that will surface again and again as we uh, talk. But we are also called to be a community of worshippers and to come together and worship. And uh, that is a very high calling and a very important part of what we do together. So worshipping God together is a key part of who we are as Christians. And we make no apology, frankly, for preaching on it and possibly covering similar ground, though we'll endeavour not to just be repetitive, as we exhort and encourage and instruct and, I believe, try to build faith for this very important subject, that we all, as Christians, are called to be worshippers of God, a people who come together 
in an attitude of expectation, an attitude of delight in God, an attitude also of reverence. Now, that's a slightly old-fashioned word and not one we often use, but actually it's not a dull, boring word. It's probably almost the equivalent to a more modern, often used word, awe, or or, giving awe. Now, awe is, again, unfortunately misused, so it's used quite a lot. Awesome is a trivial word in many of our conversations. It just means something's good or lovely or we're pleased about it. But actually, the word awe genuinely means reverential wonder and fear of something. And of course, when it's used in conversation originally, that's slightly ironic, but of course, it just becomes like a cliche. But we need to take it back. When we come together, there should be a feeling of awe about our worship. It's not something we create by, by, by effort, but, but that's the appropriate feeling, reverence and awe, when we come before the living God. Listen to this little extract, little half sentence from the book of Job. Dominion and awe belong to God. The only being worthy of our awe and our reverence and our worship is the living God. They belong to God. (laughs) Dominion and awe belong to God. They are appropriate words, appropriate actions to associate with our worship together. So when we come together, when any bunch of Christians come together in any of the multiple contexts there are around in our nation and others, the the things that should never be true of our gatherings are that they are trivial, boring, (laughs) flippant, careless, just sentimental, just habit, just routine. Those are the things you can't associate with corporate worship. Whatever stream you come from, they should not be there if we are genuine Christians. It's all so easy to fall into casual habits when we gather. It's all too easy to be over-familiar, to come late, to arrive late, to just chat, to just move around and sort of scratch yourself and stretch and look at your Facebook and check the Twitter reads and do stuff. I know people do that. And just look and see what, what the news is on and who's winning the football if it's an evening service. Uh, you know, but that is awful, frankly. Sorry, it's not a great thing. We are coming to the living God. Awe and reverence belong to him. And we need to think about that. Matt Redman, who's a great worship leader and writer of songs, wrote this. Matt Redman, I think it is on. Yeah, great. Each time we gather together, we don't just journey to a church building. We journey before the very throne of God. To lose sight of this is to lose sight of the majestic in worship. When we come to worship, we come to a throne. Everything else arranges itself around that throne. We come to the living God when we come to worship. We come to worship him. Let's go back to 1 Peter. Just put two verses together this time. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Let's just take a moment to digest it a bit more. Let me read it again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Let's just take a moment, leave that up for a moment. Let's just take a moment briefly to say what a privilege it is to be a Christian. If you don't know Jesus this morning as your Saviour and Lord, if you've never come to know him, perhaps you're still hesitating on the edge, please put that right this morning. You can put faith in Jesus today and you can become a member of this incredible privileged group, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. How about that? Every one of you is special to the living God. When you have followed him and you're in Christ, you are his special possession. You can be called right out of darkness into his wonderful light. Remember the picture Pauline brought. There's light is a, a dominant a motif about God. He's light. You can come out of the darkness into the light. We have when we follow Jesus. We are the people of God. We've received mercy when we didn't deserve it. What a privilege to be a follower of Jesus, to be a born-again Christian. Amen? So we have a responsibility to be appropriate in how we gather to him, to honour him, to worship him, to to fulfil one of his great purposes for us, to declare his praises. What's that mean? It means to speak about them, to sing about them, to proclaim them. That's literally what it means. One of the things we do is proclaim and demonstrate and declare out the praises of God who called us out of darkness into light. It is indeed our greatest calling or highest calling. And so we must challenge ourselves if we've lost the plot a bit. And, be, and it's become a bit of a triviality to us to worship together, a bit of a habit, a bit of a formal thing or a powerless thing or a low expectation or all those things I listed earlier. You know, it does happen, but we need to sort of address it. No, 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 that's no good. I can't be satisfied that I think of the worship as a warm-up or I allow some trivial irritation or, or delay even just to mean, oh, forget that, it's just the worship, I just want to hear the word. Now, it's actually all part of worship. What I'm saying now is part of worship with God. So there's a, a, a sort of fact there. But, but to be honest, when we get a chance together to declare the praises of God, that is a wonderful privilege. And I might just say in passing, it is not absolutely the entitlement of us that we are able to free, as, as human beings, that we're able to freely gather and worship God in the way we do. I mean, I could go off on one here, but let's take a, few, a quick list. There are many parts of the world where you are not allowed to meet like this. You're not allowed to gather and worship God. You have an amazing privilege that we own a building, freely can own it. No police are going to come through the door. We can come and loudly and clearly worship our God together. Wow, who'd want to miss that opportunity? There are people in some parts of the world who would give their right arm for it, almost literally. Then on top of that, because we're in Jesus, we can come boldly to the living God through a new and living way. There are generations of Old Testament saints who would give their right arm. (laughs) Again, these right arms are going off this morning. (laughs) To be able to come freely and easily into the presence of God. You're all a royal priesthood. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, absolutely awesome. There's all sorts of people who are very important in the Old Testament but gaping at our opportunity. Because they're in the old covenant, we're in the new after Jesus. 
Apart from saints, as I say, who, who fear to gather in more than a, a tiny little secret handful. Wonderful, wonderful privilege. Amen? Let's enjoy it. Let's really make the most of it. And don't let's ignore the fact, which has probably been touched on already in our songs, funnily enough, that, that, that corporate worship is part of spiritual warfare. It really is. There is a battle that goes on and praise, the high praises of God's people are a weapon in that war. I'd love to have time, and I haven't, to read again the psalm that Steve read at our prayer meeting on Wednesday, which was Psalm 149. And if you have time, have a look at it. But it's a psalm that very legitimately, I think, is taken in the New Covenant as well, with the whole Bible's for us, as a, an example how praise is part of a weapon. Now, in the Old Testament, you can actually see it happen sometimes, uh, Jehoshaphat and other times, when they put the worshippers out in the front and God fought for them and the enemy was destroyed. It was very physical. But we live in a spiritual... Our enemy is not flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers. But the same principle applies. When we have the high praises of God in our mouths, our enemies come down. Amen. They do. And we take ground from the enemy through praise. Now, Satan knows that if you don't. He's well aware. He's taken a few hits over the centuries. He knows what happens when a united bunch of Christians really start praising God and worshipping him in spirit and in truth. He's fully aware. He also reads the Bible. He knows it. He knows Psalm 149, even though many of us probably can't repeat it, including me. I can't repeat it word for word, but I do know it. But, but to be honest with you, what I mean is some of you think, well, what's Psalm 149? Well, look, Satan knows about it. And because he knows that, he is very happy, hear me, he is very happy to, hear Christ, to have Christians distracted and divided over worship. He's absolutely comfortable with that because they, he's not going to have the united high prayer. In fact, it's part of his weapon, his, his spiritual warfare strategy. If he can have you as a Christian disinterested in worship, not important, corporate worship, distracted, all, all sorts of things, sometimes very legitimate things that just fill your mind, but they're actually a demonic distraction from engaging with God, sometimes less legitimate, divided, which is never legitimate, over worship. You know, all of those things will weaken what he sees as a danger to him. Honestly, it's a danger. I, I love that song we sang about hallelujahs. That's, there's truth in that. As we personally or corporately raise high our praises, raise the name of Jesus, whatever the circumstances, we'll touch that a little bit later about how we handle that. But as we do that, we are somehow bringing sort of almost guns, if I may use that word, spiritual uh, howitzers to bear on the enemy. Yeah, I'm not, you know, it's a military picture, but it's a valid one. It's swords in the Old Testament. It's almost like artillery on the enemy. And, and we need to understand it's very important. So if our worship, personal or corporate, is completely undermined, becomes meaningless, doesn't have any truth in it, any spirit in it, that is a win for the enemy. It's meant to be a powerful weapon, and it is, in our battle. Worship is revering, adoring, honouring, and respecting God. Let's quickly go through a few bullet points. They will be quick. They're just bullet points, really. Let's take this one. Worship is for God alone. Just something to bear in mind. Worship is for God alone. God is the only being in the universe who it is right and appropriate to worship. 
appropriate to worship. There is no hint of ego or pride in God saying, I've called you to declare my praise and worship. It's very hard for us to get our heads around that, and it needs unpacking if you have a question about it, but can you just receive it from me this morning, that that is not egocentric. God is the creator of all things. All things depend on him. Everything is his. And without him wanting it for his own uh, ego, it is totally right and appropriate that we declare his praise. And a failure to thank him and praise him is a spiral down into darkness and destruction. Read the opening chapter of Romans, Romans 1. So the the, the huge moral decline you read there starts with a lack of acknowledging who God is, lack of worship and thankfulness. So actually it is appropriate. Listen, God does not need our worship. You say, oh, why does he say? He doesn't need it. God is all sufficient. He is self-sufficient. God has no needs. God has no needs of any sort whatsoever. He is self-sufficient. He knows this is appropriate for him and the balance of the universe he's created and it's good for us and healthy to worship. And the only being we should ever worship is God. No human being, no animal, no cause, no idea, no political thing. I don't know, we can list them, list them. No thing like money or possessions. The only thing we worship is God. Worship meaning adore honour, respect, give our all to, is God. Everything else must be secondary. Let's look at another bullet point. Worship magnifies God. So worship is about making much of God. Magnify like a magnifying glass. Worship makes big God. We need to sing big songs about a big God. And we do. We need to sing again and again. Worship magnifies God lifts high his name, makes much of him, proclaims his excellencies, and that's what our worship should do. Let's move on quickly. Worship is an end in itself. Worship is an end in itself. Now, this is quite important. You see, we often benefit from worship. We do benefit in many ways, uh, actually. But that happens as a, if I might say, a byproduct of real worship, a sort of secondary thing. Worship, we don't worship to get something from God. We don't worship in order to receive something and get healed or delivered, though often people do in worship when it really is in the flow of the Spirit. We don't worship to have an outlet for our gift, to give us a chance to use our gift, though we often will use our gifts in worship, certain of the gifts anyway. We don't worship to give me a ministry, a voice, to worship leaders to have something to do. It's nice for the young people to have something to do, to play some music for. No, we don't do that. Worship, that isn't worship. It's nothing about that at all. But there are many, many benefits that come from worship, but none of them are the purpose of worship. Amen? It's quite important because the benefits only really come if you get it right. It's when you really engage with what you're there for, which is for God alone, and it's worship's end in itself. So authentic worship may have a hundred beneficial side effects, but its purpose is to worship God, and that terminates with God himself. Amen? Next one. Worship is pursuing God. Here's a little taster from Psalm 42. 
The next verse. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Does that in any way reflect your heart sometimes? It, it should do. That there's a sort of hunger about worship. There's a passion. I, 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 not, not, you're not declaring that you actually yet feel like that. You're declaring your heart is, Lord, I need more of you. I'm hungry for you. This isn't on the screen. John Piper wrote it this way. God is honoured when a people come knowing they will die of hunger and thirst unless they have him. Spiritual hunger and thirst. God is honoured if we come like that. Psalm 42. He's honoured if we come, God, I need you. That honours him because it's recognising he is worthy of our worship. He alone is the answer. So the pursuit of God is an important part of our worship. It's not primarily about an experience for us. I have to keep saying this, although the experience will come, it's secondary. It's not about our feelings. That can come, that's secondary. It's not about, did we quite like it? Is it our sort of music? Is it our sort of uh, whatever's going on? Worship is best and only effective if it is God-centred. Every one of us come hungry for God. Do you see? I can actually enjoy a whole range of music. I do like the sort of music we have. I love the Bethel stuff, which is quite a bit of it's there at the moment. I love it. I can enjoy Handel's Messiah. I enjoy sometimes sitting, listening to some beautiful sort of classical uh, religious music as well. But to be honest, I understand my emotions can be played by all of that, and I enjoy secular music, and that can play on my emotions. So actually, that isn't the main issue of what am I quite enjoying and it's giving me a good buzz. That is not the main The main issue is I'm hungry for God when I come to worship. Now, I want to not be distracted by things. That's why, bless your hearts, technicians and musicians, it's really important, and you do so well. Really important you serve us as efficiently as you can because it is sort of distracting if it all goes woo or you lot don't know what you're playing or get it all wrong. So thank you for thank you for serving us well, both of you. So that's meant to commend you. Sorry, a bit of a backhanded sound, but it's meant to commend. So any form of distraction in a way is a little bit of a problem. But actually we're not here for that sort of experiential thing primarily. We're hungry for God. Do you understand my heart there? I hope you do. Worship, let's move on, thrives on wonder. This is Matt Redman again. It's not on the screen. Matt Redman said, we live as worshippers of the otherly in a culture of the ordinary. We live, we live as worshippers of the otherly, the other God, in a culture of the ordinary. There is no one and nothing like God. Oh, it's such a privilege. I mean, sometimes just on my own in my room or just when I'm out walking, I love it, out walking, I just start praising God. I praise him in tongues. have to watch it a bit because you get a lot of dog walkers, don't you? And I try and get out every day and I, I, I walk around the water meadows. It's such a privilege to live where I do. And I'm praising God and I'm thanking him for things around. I'm thanking him for what he's doing. And I'm, you know, well, you're very holy. No, I'm not. It's just fun. It makes me, it makes me feel better, to be honest. Though I don't do it for that, but it's nice to feel better. You know, if I'm feeling a bit wound up or something, it's better to get out and worship and just praise God. I sing in tongues in the car too sometimes. I hope people don't think I'm swearing at them, but I'm often swinging in tongues. 
and speaking in tongues, actually. So, um, but, but there you go. It's nice to have a worship CD on. It's, it's wonderful. I don't know, it's a slight distraction. That's the danger with me. But worship is about wondering God. Let Just a couple of scriptures. They're not on the screen. God said, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Don't you love God? I won't. Yeah, I'm the only one you should praise. He says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. That puts it in place, doesn't it? That means you want to worship. Only you are God. I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Wow. Worship needs to put us right back in the back seat and God in the front seat and be wondering him. And there's one little, we mustn't ever patronise God. Even with good intentions, we can try and make him sound like us and reduce him and manageable. He is our father, but he's not quite the same as any of us. And there's many, many ways we have to all be careful. Psalm 50, verse 21, again, it's not on the screen. God rebukes people because he says, you thought I was altogether like you. He's not. He's not as nice as you. He's tougher than you but he's greater than you and he's more loving than you and he's more consistent than you and he's more merciful than you and he's more clean and holy and pure and right than you. But actually, and me of course, but actually he's not like me. And we just need to remember that. Coming with wonder and praise. And throughout the Bible we find not only that the heavenly hosts are worshipping him and loving him, but we find that the writers, and I love it in the New Testament, they can't hold it back. Sometimes in the middle you think, why did he do that? He just went off on one. And look at this one. It's just one example from Paul in Romans 11. You can find it in the other writers, but they're usually not as quite as long as this. He's writing away in Rome, to the Romans and he goes, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. See, it's all there. He's wonder. He's not like me. Oh, he's amazing. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counsellor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And he sort of gets back to his subject. (laughs) He went off on a wonderful one. Because we are, this is the stream of what we're in. Ultimately, even when we're dealing with stuff, and Paul is dealing with a lot of stuff in one way, in Romans, in that letter, there's a sort of oh in your heart about God that sometimes bursts out. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's worthy of our praise. Well, finally, and I'm going to allow myself two or three minutes on this. I'll debate about it on Tuesday, timings. Finally, what about this question? What should we do when we feel nothing? It's a question we have to ask because we are so feelings conscious. And it's true this is our culture and we have to address our culture when we actually feel indifferent about worship when we do actually feel bored coming to worship or depressed or downcast and we can hardly open our mouths to sing what should we do if we've lost the sense of intimacy with the lord we don't actually feel anything particularly about him maybe you even struggle to come to church let alone to sing the songs we put up 
on the screen. Perhaps you genuinely have been through a very difficult time. You're broken emotionally. Your spirit's dry. You can even feel more angry than praising most of the time. Can you worship? Can you come together and worship? Yes, you can. John Piper is very good on this, and I haven't got time to unpack it. Here's a mini quote from one of the things he said. God is glorified by your longing for the joy that can be found in him, even if you're not experiencing it. So it is not about, is it that hypocritical, what about my feelings? It's not about your feelings. There's a whole load of things I could say. One is, God's, what's true about God is true however you feel. So to say he's glorious and wonderful and loving God is true whatever you feel actually. But this is a little more real to our... Look, you know, if you are saying, Lord, I'm dry and I'm fed up, but I know you're the answer, Lord, you're actually honouring him. I, I know that I'm not experiencing it, but this is where I need to be. Okay? That is not only okay, that is good. That is worship. That is worship. That's saying you are the answer to my need even though I still am aware of my need more than the answer. But you are the answer. Amen? Amen. That is worship. That is worship. When you come in that attitude, in your brokenness, you know that the only one who can bind up your wounds is him. In your weariness, you know he's the only one who can refresh you and renew you. In your coldness of heart, you know he's the only one who can give life and warmth back on the inside. In your joylessness, you know that he's the only one who can restore your joy and delight. In your conviction of sin, you know he's the one who's merciful and will forgive you and cleanse you and restore you and bring you back to where you should be. You're really in Psalm 42. I thirst for you like a, you know, a, a, like a deer in a hot, hot country. You're saying, God, you're the answer. We need to just come and confess. Actually, some of this is sin. We need to confess, Lord, I'm sorry I've been so negative. I was so self-obsessed that I've not thought about you. I think sometimes we need to do that. Then we need to pray, God, give me a fresh revelation of yourself. Do that. When, before you come together, not only in the big meetings, smaller meetings too, come and say, God, I want to meet with you. Please give me a fresh revelation of your splendor and your glory and your grace. Take active steps to renew it. One of them well done, because you've done it today, is come and be here. That's an active step. You don't feel like being here, but you've come here. Well done. And in its right motive, that is part of it. Say, I know this is where the water is. And come to worship. And, and do declare the things we sing. So well, I find it rather difficult to sing so enthusiastically as Phoebe does. Well, that's all right. She's up here and she's Phoebe, isn't she? So, but, but actually, don't try. You just sing it. Because it's truth. If it's truth, sing it. And say it's true of God and do it. So you're beginning to focus on God and focus on Jesus. I would encourage you to fellowship with people who are going on with God. Not in a silly way where all they'll do is talk about the Bible or something. I mean, that's nice to do, of course. But, but what I mean is people who are, who are doing okay in God. Don't withdraw and all getting in a little cluster of miseries. Try and, 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 and get energy and, and encouragement and faith by just fellowshipping together. Not Be honest. Don't put a silly grin on your face. Be honest. Say, but would you just pray for me? Do stuff that takes you forward. Think of all God's done for you over the years and be grateful. That's a great place to start. Be grateful for your salvation. Be grateful for all the good things he's done for you. 
And as I've said already, you can praise him anyway because you're proclaiming truth. And when you're proclaiming truth, that's truth. And your feelings aren't the most important thing. Worship is first and foremost for God alone. And we are called to declare his excellencies. Let's fulfill our calling. Let's not back off it. Let's not be frightened to give him the highest praise. Amen? We're going to move on. We're going to have uh, Jonathan and uh, the band up. Thanks, John. I hope that stirs your heart. Just while the band's come up, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, and hopefully you'll see the point in a minute. So uh, for the past few months, we've had a problem in our house with the water pressure. And, uh, I, you know, we keep, every morning you think about it because the shower doesn't work or whatever. And then, of course, I forget about it. So it's been going on and on. And this weekend, I thought, I'm going to do something about this water pressure problem. So I was getting riled up. I think I'm going to get in touch with Southern Water and uh, give them a piece of my mind. So I went on the website, and by the grace of God, there was a thing there that said, question, my water pressure is low. So I clicked on it, and it said, have you asked your neighbors whether theirs is low? Theirs is low. And I thought, no, I was going to do it, but I, I haven't got round to that. And then it said, is the stop tap in your property turned on? I thought, well, of course it is. I wish you wouldn't get any water, would you? But I thought, well, I suppose I'd better go and check. So in a very grumpy way, I went and checked. Who would have done anything to the stop tap? So I get to the stop tap. The stop tap is just on. So I'm turning it. And I go to the kitchen and And I'm thinking, well, thank you, God, for that little thing. So I didn't make a complete burk of myself. Do you know, <laughs> when we don't always experience the flow of the Spirit of God, which is often like, likened to water in the Bible, I've got to ask the question of myself. Is the problem in the supply or is it in the stop tap? Where is the issue if I'm not really flowing in all that God has for me? And we have times, different times in life where that can be the case. But I just feel as we come to respond to what John has brought this morning, just allow the Holy Spirit, like that little Q&A did online for me, to say to you, is there a stop tap in your heart that is not fully open? Is there something you need to do? I had to get up. I had to go to the place. I had to open it. Is there something you need to do? Some of the suggestions John has made to allow the water of God's Spirit just to flow afresh through your heart. The band's going to lead us in a, a song of response in just a moment. But just while they play, let's have a moment of quiet and allow the Holy Spirit to settle in our hearts. How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond this morning? You know, uh, the Bible word for it is repentance. It's about changing our mind. It's about acknowledging, yeah, that's not. I need to turn that around. I need to open the tap. And that's not a big deal with God. If we come to him, say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. 
we're forgiven. We put it away. And then we need to bear what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance. That means you need to do something. So whatever it is that you need to do, if you can't do it now, commit before God to do it. Maybe it's coming with a different attitude next week.